BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show and welcome all new listeners after a huge push we made to get more listeners. So if you're one of those new listeners, welcome aboard. Today's episode is a little different because we're debuting a pilot episode for what may be a potential new franchise series here at Offscript Health, and it's called The Cancer Coaster. Because cancer is a roller coaster. Dur, dur, dur. Of course it is. But the highs, the lows, the dips, the flows, I'm going to keep rhyming like Dr. Seuss. It doesn't matter. It's a tragedy. It's horrible. No one wants it. It's not the ride you want to be on, but you got to deal with it when you're on it. So Cancer Coaster, a new potential series. And my guest today is Carly Bowes, spelled B-O-O-S. And I kind of ride her for that, but it's her husband's fault. Carly Bowes. Carly is the executive director at the CLL Society, which is the world's leading authority for chronic lymphocytic leukemia and small lymphocytic lymphoma. A lot of syllables, not a great thing to have. But there's hope, there's progress, there's a lot of stuff going on, but the community is just so damn engaged, you got to know about it. So if anyone listening to the show happens to be affected by CLL or SLL, I'm using acronyms now, this is the show for you. Tell your friends, tell your family. Like and subscribe, as they say on YouTube. Carly is here to talk about all things CLL, what the organization does, nonprofit therapy from one CEO to another, wearing my former stupid cancer hat, and what it's going to be like for this series for the CLL Society and their caregivers to really feel like they belong somewhere that they didn't want to be and how they mobilize and organize for change. And that's just not a cat poster word. There's real change happening. And it's kind of like messing back with CMS and the FDA, but it's good stuff to have. So enjoy the show. Enjoy the kickstart of what I hope is the franchise, Cancer Coaster. Enjoy. Well, welcome in studio. Welcome to New York. Welcome to the Out of Patients show. Uh, we're, we're here to proudly announce the origins of a brand new forthcoming series specifically for the CLL community called Cancer Coaster. Because, you know, getting sick and getting through it is very linear. There are no hiccups. <laughs> it's a perfect straight line, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it always works out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in what world? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, fascinated when I did a little digging. We, we've known each other a long time, but one thing that I always point out with, when guests have this specific character trait, you list your high school on LinkedIn. I do? Yes, you do. <laughs> okay. I think it's th there's a unique charm to yeah. people who choose to do that, whether you remember doing it or not. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's just a testament to just who you are as a person. I want to understand what high school meant to you that it deserves 
the privilege of being on your LinkedIn profile? <laughs> well, you know, I think what's important about it to me is that I did go to a small town high school in rural Kansas, and that's a big part of who I am. You know, I've I've moved into bigger cities since then, but it's part of my roots. And, I, you know, I've lived in Midwestern, rural, blue-collar America, and I've worked in the corporate world and the nonprofit world, and there's a lot of different types of people out there, and I think it's important to to know um, that not everyone's living the same life. We have a lot of things in common. Certainly, you know, cancer patients, CLL patients are coming from all different walks of life. So it does mean something to me. Well, I will echo the fact that you might be the most Midwestern mm-hmm. guest I've ever had on the show. Take it as a compliment. All the square states, just straight <laughs> up and down. <laughs> the flyover states. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was in um, Kansas City, but I was in the Kansas City in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's something that all of you hate, that yes. us coastal elites get mistaken. Right. Yeah. And that they always mention, like, to Kansas City, I guess, Kansas or Missouri, or, or kind of almost proud that you know that there is a Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri. It, yeah, I would say 95% of the conversations that I have with people, not yeah. from Kansas City. Right. Because everyone's like, Manhattan. Oh, Minnesota? No. <laughs> we have a Manhattan, Kansas, too. Don't really? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> K-State is there. Yeah. I was going to say population 12? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I noticed that you had worked for the American Society for Clinical Pharmacology. That's a lot of syllables, but what did that mean and how did that prepare you? There's even an additional s- syllable because it's pharmacology and therapeutics. So it's ASCPT. I came to ASCPT to managed the educational programs and the annual meeting, which was building on my experience in continuing medical education. And how did you get to there from (laughs) Kansas? Well, I was still in Kansas. That was a remote position. So I had previously been working at the American Academy of Family Physicians, which is in Leawood, Kansas. I had an adult education background, came there. And while I was there, I got my MBA, trying to kind of round out my experience and to understand there's always that mission margin pull in any nonprofit. So I wanted to be able to speak both languages and just be a more effective leader. Well, we can we can channel our inner nonprofit CEO therapy hats yeah. at some point during our conversations. Okay. But I I did notice something that I, I always like to know if this was applicable to your, your wedding vows. I saw something on your profile that said marriage and family therapy. Yeah. No, that was just a stint. Again, um, adult education, I, was, I, was, I knew that I wanted to be in that space. So I went to work for a small college in Kansas called Friends University. And that sounds like a Kansas University. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually it, it was a Quaker base. So the, the wow. fr- yeah, so it it was um it's not been the oatmeal quite a while. people. Well, I think that was based on the Quakers. Really? Mm-hmm. The, so, so Quaker oatmeal is actually based on real Quakers. Well, the guy on the front, he's, know, he looks like a Quaker. Like Aunt Jemima doesn't exist, right? Like <laughs> they make things up. All right, if it's real, it's I real. haven't done my research. I mean, they're not a sponsor either way. I- so. <laughs> But they may be Quaker Oats. We love you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good for you. It's really good food for you. I mean, like it's like when two psychologists get married. It's like you have no idea what's going to happen. Right. Because you're overanalyzing each other all the time. Right. I married a speech pathologist, and I have dysarthria from cancer 27 years ago. And it's endless how she completely deconstructs the little things that happen to me when I talk every now and then. <laughs> My goodness. So you did step into the nonprofit leadership position at the CLL Society. I have a quick story about how I first learned about blood cancers because I come Mm -hmm. from brain cancer. 
And the first time I heard the word leukemia, I didn't understand that that was cancer. Mm -hmm. But I heard it through the context of acute lymphocytic leukemia in children and like ALL. You have all the cancers? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was my first reaction to it. <laughs> did you get that sense or did you walk in understanding what the, the, the general landscape was that you were going to uh, be addressing? I had a general idea. I had grown up with leukemia as part of my my story. Yeah, you mentioned beforehand that you've been uh, genetically riddled with this crap. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there there was a lot of it and my aunt's family and an uncle and a cousin who who both had one had ALL, one had CLL. So I I had some awareness of leukemia and how it affects individuals and their families for sure. I wasn't fully educated on the CLL landscape until I came to CLL society though. And it's there there's a lot going on, there's a lot to learn. It's a complicated disease and it's a chronic disease. So the good thing about a chronic disease, not that anyone wants one, is that you do have time to learn, time to investigate, time to think through um, what's going to be best for you. So it's a wonderful space in which to work. I, I call it a terrible privilege. That's that a we, good we are good. We're happy to be there. I mean, I like you said, you're born of your condition, your career, you walk into the space. I never expected to be the head of a nonprofit organization because I never expected to be part of this club. But it was so in, in informed me in a way of what I wished that I had. But I, I say this all as a student of history, I kind of look at, you know, I was diagnosed during, you know, Clinton in the 90s and mm-hmm. there was kind of nothing. You kind of just died. But today we're so much more aware of what it means to live with, through, and I think Livestrong used to say with, through, and ideally beyond, mm-hmm. which is was a nice way to reframe like let's hope you don't die with the dignity you deserve. Uh, how long has CLL been in the landscape of awareness within the blood cancer space? Is it as old as blood cancer itself? As far as I know, um, but I think things really started to change around 10 years ago when that was the tipping point in the therapeutic landscape. And what happened? That was when ibrutinib came to market. So that was the first oral targeted therapy um, that replaced chemo. And at that point, it it inspired a lot of other drug development. So since that, there has been a lot more hope for the CLL patient. You can they're they're living long, healthy, rich lives and the more treatment options that are available if that drug fails, patients have somewhere else to turn. And one of the things we do at CLL society is advocating to make sure that there are plenty of drugs on the market, plenty of really good effective drugs on the market so that patients know that they can go if a drug isn't working well for them they'll move to the next one if if that drug fails or if the, if they're having adverse events to, to an extent that they can't tolerate it, there's there's another drug available for them. Yeah. As someone who was told that there were only like six drugs for you <laughs> in 1996, this is a good problem to have that you have yes. choices. But mm-hmm. again, it goes back to the fundamental question that plagues every nonprofit CEO is I need to help everyone and I can't. Mm-hmm. And that are you too busy just trying to keep the lights on and manage your team when mission should be priority and no one really understands the burden that you have to go home with? <laughs> well, 
That might be another case of um, what it, what was the privilege, the terrible privilege? Terrible privilege, yeah. Terrible privilege. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an honor to get to do work like this. So, yeah, it does take a lot of energy to keep the lights on. You know, we're always working on a limited budget, and we try to punch above our weight. But there's certainly uh, a lot of people out there that we still have to reach, and that's what gets us up in the morning. That's what gets me up in the morning and why we keep – pushing and, and trying new things because until every CLL patient is fully supported, our job isn't done. And that speaks to our love of jargon and acronyms said no one ever, <laughs> you know, because like now the jargon is social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'm on, on a real high horse about is that no one considers search engines a determinant of health. And how is that poor human in this situation able to be made aware of things that Mm -hmm. they didn't know they needed and where can they possibly get access to that knowledge? What are your thoughts on this? Well, where are the the soft and hard touch points for people to know that here's a community for you, here's a product for you, here's a service for you? Well, for the CLL community, I think – you know, the, the easy answer is CLLsociety.org. I have yes. to plug our own organization because we try to be all Wait, things. what's that URL again? <laughs> CLLsociety.org. Yeah, I mean, we try to have resources for everything that a patient could possibly be looking for. And then if we don't have what you need you're, or you're unable to find it, then you can email us at support at CLLsociety.org. Or, you know, often we will link to other organizations. If someone else has a really great program, really great financial assistance program or um, a support program that they've, they're already doing it well, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. So, we, you know, you will find resources for that or of other organizations on our website as well. Yeah, We were talking before the show about, you know, uh, this truth. That 80% of Americans are diagnosed in rural America mm-hmm. and not everyone has access and privilege to the coastal phenomenal you know, NCI designated comprehensive cancer centers out there. And because of that, there's a, a an, an ethnic, racial, socioeconomic divide mm-hmm. on what patients have access to what resources because of their geography. Do you find that most people who discover CLS Society emanate from those larger institutions? Yes. And this is time for me to get up on my high horse. I'll get the ladder. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. So this is an issue that is really important to me and to CLL Society. So many patients are being seen out at the community settings and we want to find them. It's we kind of started around the academic centers, the type that you mentioned, not all coastal. There are some in Texas. They're they're around, but they tend to be in big it's cities. It's like two flyovers. There There's may Mayo be, yeah. Clinic and MD Anderson. Right. That's about it. <laughs> okay, you got me. So yeah, a, a lot of our support groups formed around those areas. The CLL physicians that are working there are hyper-focused on CLL, so that they are very connected with us. But there are a lot of providers out there who are broad hematologists, maybe even hematologists, oncologists that are seeing every type of cancer out there. And CLL, while there are around 200,000 people in the U.S. living with CLL today, 
it's still a rare cancer as opposed to breast or prostate. So not the big sexy ones, right? As as has been said. Yes, yes. I I, I don't know how I feel about the sexy cancer terminology, but right. I hear it a lot. But it's not so, the good cancer to have. If you heard people say that, they do say that about CLL. That's terrible. And we yes, patients do not like that at all. They don't appreciate it. It never feels good to be told you have cancer and to be told that it's a good cancer is note to doctors there is no good cancer yes end and stop please please yeah uh, we, we've actually done surveys to ask patients how they feel about it and it's a resounding they hate it yes. so yeah let's not do that it's like the please stop showing happy people with cancer on tv commercials thing mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> just a little tone deaf yeah slightly like I have a, a funny presentation I give every now and then where I, I invent like fake pharma ads. Oh my goodness! And you know every, every pharma ad is like people dancing in a wheat field, and like there's no chemo in wheat fields. <laughs> Please, I don't want to get IV bags in a wheat field. Let's stop with the wheat fields. That's exactly what this is. You know, in fairness to the pharma companies, I think there 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 is something to be said for there can be you can still live a happy life with with. CLL or with any cancer, whether it's going to be so happy that you want to go running in a wheat field. Personally, I don't find running through a wheat field, even being a Kansas girl, it's just not high on my list. Maybe a cornfield. I'm sorry. uh, Being very, very uh, objective. (laughs) Running through fields in general isn't, isn't, you know, high on my list of ways to celebrate a good day. But, you know, if that's your thing, I guess. Where were we? In defense of pharma. Which I am. Which no, that's, you are. that's what I was doing. Is that um, there? There are times where you know you can have really happy days. You can you can you can have good days, and you can get on a treatment where not every day has to be miserable. And I think that they're trying to show that. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I think t- today too about how. Um, you oh, we're doing a show. Are we recording? Oh, we're chit chatting, right? Yes, that's yes, fantastic. Right. All right. Well, let's take a break on that note. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages from, I have no, Wegmans? Quaker Oats. Field of Dreams? Quaker Oats. Yeah. Maybe Kevin Costner would narrate the uh, Quaker Oats commercial. Uh. All right, done. We'll be back. Bye. We're back, and I'm going to re-channel my Clinton-era walk-it-off therapy survivorship plan, which it kind of was back then. You mm-hmm. know, just get over it and figure out what the hell you're going to do. You don't need us at all. And it really wasn't until I would say the the, the late '90s when the word survivorship, which was originated in 1986 by the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, an organization I've I've touted to the hills for 25 years. And survivorship today, which is mental health and quality of life and, and, and that your well-being is tantamount to your care, became psychosocial well-being. Mm-hmm. But again, ebb tide, progress, good problem to have. Let's talk about like I said, the roller coaster, which is clearly not a straight line. There are no good cancers, and being told it's a good one is the start of a dip in the roller coaster. Like, let's talk about this. Yeah. So, one of the most frustrating experiences for a CLL patient 
beyond being told that they have a good cancer, a lot of times at the same time they're having that conversation, they are going into a stage called active observation or very commonly watch and wait. Sometimes patients call it watch and worry. But essentially, CLL has been detected through a blood test, but if you're not having symptoms and your counts are okay, what they're going to do is just monitor you for a while. It's sometimes very there are very good reasons for delaying treatment with CLL. So to be told in one day that you have this diagnosis of CLL, which is, as you said, it's a blood cancer. It's a leukemia and a lymphoma. And also, don't do anything. You're fine. Just go back and keep living your life and just put this in the back of your head. Let's wait till it gets really bad. Right. It's There's just a cognitive dissonance. And I think, you know, there is uh, a tendency for providers, as you said, you know, at that moment where they're saying it's a good cancer, they're saying that because compared to some of the more aggressive cancers that they see that are very fast moving, you, you do have time with CLL. But for the individual, that that creates so much anxiety. You want to solve this problem, you know, and, and I think as a culture and our society, the way that we are, our impression of cancer is always catch it early, treat it early. That's going to increase your your chances for survival. And you can't do that here. You can't do that here. It's it, and and that's something that it's not commonly understood. So in that phase, you're very likely to feel a lot of anxiety, stress, fear, concerns. You're wondering if you know, is my doctor qualified that he's telling me I have a cancer and don't do anything? So that's a tough period. And then you're going to, there will be a point where you do need to begin treatment. And that's going to have its own set of emotions. Often, again, a lot of stress and anxiety about choosing where you begin. And then you're dealing with the physical effects of a treatment. So very common in CLL. You're going to be very tired. You may have a lot of other side effects as well. You may not be able to do the physical activities that you once could do, that's affecting your self-esteem. That's affecting how you're how you're interacting with other people. Then you may experience a period, and sometimes it's very long of remission, and everything feels great, and you're experiencing a high. That's the the high part of the roller right, coaster, right. you know. And then, but eventually, you know, it's very common that it will come back again, and then you're starting it over again. So. Roller coaster is the perfect analogy for this experience. We hope that all patients get to that point where, you know, they're in a survivorship, they're in, they're in um, a remission, but you're going to go through it. And I think what's so important is I've heard so many patients say, I'm going to wait to reach out to a support group. I'm going to re- wait to um, talk about my mental health or my emotional health until it gets really bad. I'm just going to suck it up. And what we want patients to know is that what you're experiencing is very common. So many patients are experiencing this. You're not we – t- we throw around these words about, you know, how, how brave and strong everyone is. Oh, God. Right. So you're so brave. Like, did I have a choice? (laughs) So that's I. How did you do it? Um, uh, Yeah, because I went to cancer college beforehand. Right. It came in very handy to have a cancer degree beforehand. That's another thing. No one knows, you know, coming in unless you happen to have had someone very close in your life have this exact same type of cancer that you have. People don't know what you're going through. You don't know when Mm -hmm. you're diagnosed what to expect. So you're trying to learn. There's all so much disruption to your daily life. And then the people around you too, you know, uh, they, they're experiencing emotions too. So 
patients and their caregivers and their families, everyone's thrown off kilter. And it is so okay. It's more than okay to take care of yourself, to talk with others, to get support. This is this is what organizations like CLL Society are, are there Wait, for. Wait, what's that group again? CLLsociety.org. <laughs> One of my, I, I guess, bones of contention with my nonprofit hat on mm-hmm. was hearing the phrase, I wish I knew you when I needed you. And how do you solve for that? Do you, do you feel that all the time? We hear that all the time. And it's hard. And we're doing things like this. We're trying to get out into the communities. We're trying to reach people who haven't already heard about us. Those who know CLO Society, it is so nice to get the feedback that I'm so glad that I reached out to you. I'm so glad that I joined a support group. We have we do surveys of our support group members and and ask them, has this increased your confidence? Do you feel more knowledgeable about your CLL? I want to just if I can pause for a moment to just put in a plug for support groups. I know that a lot of people have an impression that it's it's a place to go and just kind of release your emotions and um, cry on each other's shoulders and that it, it kind of can have a it can kind of have a stigma of being something that's sad. And there are times for sadness and it, it is a safe space to talk about your emotions and to be sad. But it's also a place to learn and to be inspired by other people and to get this straight scoop from someone who's actually been on this drug like is this going to give me diarrhea? How long is it going to last? Like, let's have conversations like that. Well, it's become like a, an idea exchange. Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, I went to that doctor and here's, you know, here's what he told me. I've been on that drug. Here's what I've gotten from it. I'm talking to other people who've been through all of these stages that that you're going through. It's so helpful that the feedback that we get, no one regrets joining a support group. Right. I, I, one of the more... Um inspiring things I I heard back in the day was, it's nice to know that you're there when I'm going to need you, which is bizarre because no one expects to need this. Mm -hmm. But these are people who, to your point, have already been affected by cancer in their families, or they're just getting started and they're not ready to engage with their peers yet. Well, I think sometimes they think they're not ready or they think they don't need it. Sometimes you don't know what you need until mm-hmm. you get it. And then you say, oh, my gosh, I had no idea this was even out there. So I encourage everyone to just this is the time to be brave. Try something new. Try something that you don't expect. If you hate it, that's OK. Find something different. But don't keep trying to find ways to support yourself. This is not just a physical journey. Right. This right. It's not just about your body. You've got a mind. You've got a heart. You've got a spirit. Those things need to be nurtured, too. Yeah, the you are not alone isn't a cat poster. Right. Although it can be <laughs> quite construed as a cat poster. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what you said, like what you didn't know you needed could mm-hmm. be exactly what you didn't expect to have. I didn't know that I would ever have a need for a podcast. And I love listening to podcasts. It's one of those things where until someone shows it to you, it just never occurs to you as something that you need. Right, and go- now you're just buttering me up. <laughs> And going back to to well, no, I lost my train of thought. I just said you're buttering me up. I know. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go. I'll go in this direction. So you're going to nod your head and maybe want to punch a wall at this point now. But there were, I mean, back back when I was there, I think something like seventy or eighty thousand young adults diagnosed every year, and maybe we saw 
a thousand, fifteen hundred. You mentioned there's two hundred thousand cases and probably a whole scad more of community members over the last couple of years. How many do you see? I don't have to answer the question, and it must frustrate the crap out of you that you can't let them all know in one giant swath. We're here for you. It is very frustrating. Right now, we have a community outreach project that we're working on trying to throw everything that we can against the wall to reach everyone, to let them know that we're here. So we're we're desperately seeking contact information for community centers around the country, wherever they're treating CLL patients. We are exhibiting at conferences where the healthcare teams are going to be in attendance so that we can spread the word with them around CLL society. You know, these hemonks, they are spread really thin. It's really difficult to go deep. It's impossible to go deep on every condition that they're treating. And we don't expect them to become CLL experts overnight. We are CLL experts. We are connected with with the key opinion leaders in CLL. Our medical advisory board is comprised of people who live and breathe CLL. They're the ones who are advancing the research, advancing the treatments. So come to us. We'll connect you with whatever you need and whatever your patients need. And if I, I want the healthcare providers to know, you also are not alone. We're here. We can we can provide resources to you to hand to your patients to help them get connected. Right. And that's another podcast about burnout and exhaustion and fatigue in the provider universe as well. Oh, for sure. I worked for, you know, the American Academy of Family Physicians, family physicians are spread so deep. You know, we talk about cradle to grave treatment. They right. do everything. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be an expert in all of those areas when when you're s- such a generalist. Yeah, I remember back in the Livestrong days. Everything I talk about, I'm, like, I'm so old. I keep talking about the '90s. <laughs> they used to hey, have like we're right there yeah, together. We are Gen Xers. Yes. Yes. There used to be like paper libraries of resources at the cancer centers. You'd walk into this room. And you'd be able to just like Dewey Decimal yourself into whatever you needed. And those are gone now because everything is digitized, mm-hmm. which makes it even more impossible to know something you need exists unless – I hate the whole happens to have happened, right? You shouldn't happen to know someone like me to tell you what to do. You happen to know you, you're in luck because you're already there, mm-hmm. right? Most people don't have that accidental good luck. Right. Yeah. So – but hopefully they are seeing a physician. So that's one of our that's one of our angles. One of the ways that we're trying to get in is trying to get into those physician offices. If the physicians know that we're there and they're willing to share our resources, then we can take it from there. All right. Now it's time to break the fourth wall of radio and talk to the listeners. Anyone out there who's been dealing with CLL or knows someone who has been dealing with CLL and you don't already know about the CLL Society – I am their spokesperson, not just for this show. I can testify that Carly Bose, spelled B-O-O-S, is an extraordinary leader. It's an extraordinary community, and it is truly what you didn't know you needed. So we're encouraging you to give us your feedback. Carly, what email address can listeners get in touch with you to tell them what they need and how you can help? Please email us at support at CLLsociety.org. We'll make sure that your question goes to the person who is best suited to answer it, depending on what the, the nature of your question is. We also have an Ask the Experts email 
address. Ask the experts at CLLsociety.org. If you have a specific question about your CLL and and even if you've already asked your physician or maybe you don't, you're not going to be seeing your physician for a while, you'll get a, a prompt response to your question. So please reach out that way as well. And what's your home address and social security number? Nice try. <laughs> All right. Well, Cancer Coaster is just timely right now because as of this recording, I was in Dollywood two weeks ago with my family. And they got some great coasters. Those, mm-hmm. those are the good ones you want to ride. <laughs> okay. Not the bad ones you want to ride. Right. Right. But again, it's always like, welcome to the club. You didn't want to join, but once mm-hmm. you hear your family, we're mm-hmm. sorry you're here, but it's a party. Yeah. Right. All right. Carly Bowes, your husband's last name, notwithstanding my uh, my ineffectual disagreement with pronunciation. <laughs> Carly Bowes, the executive director at the CLL Society. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Way more to come. And just big love to the CLL community out there. Thank you so much, Matt. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.